Good morning. Happy New Year. I did not realize that it was uh, the changing of a decade until, you know, people started talking about the end of a decade. And I listened to the sermon last week on the podcast. So Mike was talking about the last Sunday of the decade. And I thought, wait a minute, it is the changing of a decade. Now I feel really old. Um, If you want to grab your Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter 1, find Proverbs chapter 1 verse 8. If you're using uh, one of the Bibles that's in the seat there, it's on page 628. Uh, I will jump into that scripture in just a moment, but while you're finding that, let me give a couple of other updates about things that are coming up. Um, Pastor Josh Raley and his family are moving uh, from Baton Rouge to Stoughton. Their tentative closing date on their house is January 24th, Uh, and so tentatively, pencil it in on your calendar for Saturday the 25th. It'd be great to have a whole bunch of people show up and help them move. Um, the address of the house they're buying is 925 Keenan Lane. 925 Keenan Lane. We'll, we'll send them more information out as it gets closer, but that's only a few blocks from here. So we could even walk here, walk there from here if it's warm enough. But um, it's a, be a great day uh, to move. And so 925 Keenan Lane, January 25th. Pencil that on your calendar. Um, of course, you know how moving goes. Sometimes closing dates get moved, and if that happens, we'll be sure to let you know. Um, the other thing that I wanted to announce, this is super exciting. Um, we did the Advent Conspiracy Drive uh, through the month of December. We uh, challenged everybody by one last Christmas gift and then bring the money that they would have spent, and we gave a special offering on Christmas Eve, and we were hoping to uh, raise $20,000 to build a well for people in Turkana, Kenya. So uh, the exciting thing is, I had said, uh, there were several people that said, we, we weren't going to be able to be here on Christmas Eve. Can we give online? Can we give a different Sunday? And I said, yes, we'll make it available online through today, January 5th, if anybody hasn't given yet and they want to give. But um, the, So I don't know the total amount that's been given toward that project yet. We'll report that next week once it, the offering is closed for it. But on Christmas Eve, the offering was just over $20,000 for, for that. So, Now, if you remember, on Christmas Eve, I, I prayed a, a, a little bit transparent prayer, and I said, that is a really intimidating number for me, $20,000, but God is a big God. And God never ceases to amaze me. Every time I I think about something or ask for something, God always goes beyond what my expectations are. Uh, Yesterday, in the mail, the church got a check for $20,000. So God said, not only am I going to let you build one well, I'm just going to double it. You're going to build two wells. That's pretty awesome, right? I'll be honest. I thought if we raised $3,000 total, we would be doing really well. <laughs> so I clearly think too small when it comes to God. But that's exciting. We'll report the final number on that uh, next week. But we, do, we will be able to build two wells for the people in Kenya, which is fantastic. So we're excited about that. Um, we are kicking off a series through Proverbs Uh, I like to start January, the last two Januaries that I've been here, we've started in Proverbs 
wisdom for the new year. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And so uh, I wondered if we could just read the text together this morning and then we'll dive into Proverbs and and what we're going to preach about today. Uh, Here's the passage. It's on the screen. You can follow along in your Bible or on your app. Um, Proverbs chapter 1 verse 8 says this, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie and wait for innocent blood, let's ambush some harmless soul, let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit, we will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our homes with plunder. Cast lots with us, we will all share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. This is God's word, and this is God's word for us this morning. We are in this series in Proverbs for the next four Sundays, and Proverbs is a book of wisdom. I like to start Proverbs in January because uh, January is a time of year when we're thinking about New Year's resolutions, what could be better. We take stock uh, of where we're at in life, where we're at with God, and we think about things that we could improve on, do better. And so there's no better way to start the new year than saying, I want to be better at life. I want to have more wisdom for how I live my life. And Proverbs is God's manual for wisdom uh, in the Bible, Um, and so it's a great way to start. As we're thinking about Proverbs, and as we're thinking about wisdom, wisdom for the new year, it's important to understand what wisdom is. When you read the word wisdom in the Bible, what is the Bible talking about? And I've said this the last two years, so we'll see how much you remember from last year. Um, That's a joke, by the way. (laughs) Wisdom is, it's a little quiz here, wisdom is... What? Does anybody remember what our definition for wisdom is? Wisdom is skill at life. Lindsay gets the... I wish I had a candy bar, but I don't. We have some extra communion wafers, but uh, that's a little sacrilegious, so don't do that. No. Uh, Wisdom is skill at life. In the Bible, the word wisdom, the Old Testament, the word wisdom is the Hebrew word chokmah. Everybody say that. Chokmah. Chokmah. Right? You've got to get a little in there. Wisdom is skill at life. The word chokmah means skill. It's translated wisdom. So if you read it in the Old Testament, they will talk about someone that has wisdom at stone cutting. That means he is a skillful stone cutter. Or somebody who is wise at leather working is a skillful leather worker. The word wisdom just means skill. And in Proverbs, the word wisdom specifically, the skill that it's talking about is skill at life. Someone who is skillful at living their life is a wise person. That's oftentimes why older people have more wisdom. They have had more practice at life. They've made more mistakes. They've learned more lessons. They've figured out how to live life uh, more skillfully. And so we recognize that wisdom comes with age simply because they've had more practice at life. And they've figured things out more than younger people have. And that's oftentimes true. Wisdom is skill at life. And if you want to know how to live life skillfully, it's 
good to turn to Proverbs, to turn to God, who's the inventor of life, and say, okay, you invented this thing we call life, God. How did you intend for us to live it? How is it supposed to work? Nobody knows better how to use something than the person who invented it. So we go to God's word, we turn to God, and we say, how do you intend life to work? We figure that out, and we live that way, and that's what wisdom is. It is skill at life. Another important thing, when we're reading the book of Proverbs, we're looking for wisdom, it's really important to understand how to read Proverbs. So Proverbs is another little quiz. Proverbs are blank, not blank. Does anybody remember what this is? Proverbs are... Starts with a P, I'll give you a hint. Starts with a P. Proverbs are (laughs) principles, not promises. Good job, Cindy. Proverbs are principles, not promises. This is so important. Many people think that anything that's written in the Bible is automatically a promise that God guarantees to keep. And that's not true. Sometimes God does make promises in the Bible. He promises that everyone who puts their faith in his son will be saved and have everlasting life. That is a promise. Nothing will change that. He promises in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Neither height nor depth, nor angels nor demons, nor death nor life, you know, all that stuff. That is a promise. Proverbs are not promises. They're principles. This is really important because it is easy to read something in Proverbs and assume that it's a promise, and then when it doesn't work out the way you think it does, we get angry with God for not keeping a promise that he actually didn't make. It's important to read. Proverbs are principles. They are general observations about life. They are true most of the time, but not all the time. It's their principles. They're not promises. And so look at, here's, a, here's just an example. Proverbs 10.4 says, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Now, this is not a promise. I know plenty of people who work their tail off and are barely making it. Their hands are diligent, but they're not obtaining massive amounts of wealth. And I know lots of rich people who've never worked a day in their life. Well, actually, I don't know lots of rich people, but you know what I'm saying. There are lots of rich people who've never worked a day in their life beyond walking in front of a bunch of flashing cameras and thinking that's their job, right? That's not real work. Everybody knows that. So this proverb is not a promise, but it is a general truth about life. For most people, most of the time, in most places in the world, if you work hard, you will have what you need to survive. And if you don't like to work and you don't want to work, you'll probably be on the lower end of the socioeconomic status. Generally, that might be true for most people in most life. It's a principle, but it's not a promise. And it's important to to read Proverbs the right way. So as we jump into Proverbs, we need to understand wisdom is skill at life. Proverbs are principles, not promises. And so we're going to learn some principles that will make us more skillful in our lives. And the the principles that we're going to learn about today have to do with parenting. So if you're not a parent, uh, don't turn your brain off yet because these principles actually apply beyond just parenting. I'm going to apply them specifically in the context of parenting this morning, but these principles are very useful and valuable in many different contexts, not just parenting. But as I've reflected on where I would like to go and improve and grow in 2020, and and as you hopefully have, many of us that have kids at home have probably thought, I would like to be more skillful as a parent. 
And I would like to have more wisdom in parenting. I would like to know how to set my kids in the right direction. And I would like to grow and improve in that as a parent in 2020. So that's where we're going to jump into Proverbs uh, chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to read this from the perspective of the parents. But as we, as we think about uh, parenting and all this stuff, I titled the series, It Starts at Home. I titled the sermon, It Starts at Home. And I would like to say that I got that catchy title all, all on my own little brain, but I didn't. Uh, there's actually a study on Right Now Media. It's a free study. Uh, if you uh, have a Right Now Media subscription, if you don't, our church has that, and it makes it's available to anyone that wants it. Just email the office, and we'll get you added to the list. Right Now Media is kind of like a Netflix of Christian Bible studies. Um, and there's tons of kids' shows, Christian cartoons, and shows for your kids on there. It's all free through the church's subscription, and it's available to you. This study right now on Right Now Media, It Starts at Home, is a six-week study on parenting, and I would highly recommend it. In fact, um, I would ask every life group or small group that has parents in it to consider doing this six-week study at some point this year. It is invaluable no matter what age your kids are. Uh, here's a little pr- uh, trailer for the study, and this will kind of set the, the mood for our sermon today. Go ahead and play the video, Glenn. So that's, that's a glimpse of It Starts at Home. Uh, I would encourage all the small groups that have parents with kids at home in them to, uh, to consider doing that study. This is our topic today. It starts at home. Faith begins in the home. We're going to look at Proverbs 1, 8, through 19 to learn some principles from that. And if you look at the very first two verses, verses 8 and 9, this is where we're kind of jumping in to the parent's perspective. It says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. We can read Proverbs 1, 8 through 19 from two perspectives. We can either put ourselves in the shoes of the child And all the instruction that's been given, we can apply to our own lives, and that's certainly a good thing to do. Or we can put ourselves in the shoes of the parents. And how would we teach these truths and these principles to our kids? And and what can we learn about how to influence and lead others? And that's also something that's good to do. And that's what we're going to do this morning, is to put ourselves in the perspective of the parents. Because Proverbs assumes that parents are teaching and training and raising up their kids. It doesn't tell parents to do it. It assumes that they already are doing it. And so here's what we're, here's the, the sort of the big idea from the message this morning from Proverbs 1, 8 and 9. The big idea is this. Parents have a sacred responsibility before God to do everything in their power to pass their faith in Jesus onto their children. Parents have a sacred responsibility before God to do everything in their power to pass their faith in Jesus on to their children. One of my favorite pastors to listen to on podcast is a a man named Crawford Loritz. And he says this, the only reason why family exists is to raise up the next generation of image bearers. Your family exists to show others what faith in Jesus looks like and to hand that faith down to the next generation. From a biblical perspective, that 
is the only reason why family exists, to raise up the next generation of people who are going to follow Jesus. Your family is supposed to pass on your faith. That's how you measure success. And you say, what about, what about good experiences? For my kids, what about giving them all the things that I never had in life? What about uh, helping them to get good grades? What about my kids making the best teams, winning the most tournaments? What about my kids getting into the best schools and getting great scholarships? What about them landing great jobs and finding great spouses? Aren't those things important? Those things are secondary, not primary. And, And a lot of times we confuse the secondary with the primary. But think about it from this perspective. What does it matter if your kid has more trophies in his room than anybody else and and they get the best scholarship and they go to a great college and they land a great job and they're pulling down six figures, but they're not following Jesus? What have you really accomplished as a parent? Nothing. At the end of the day, they, they might have like a great life for the 50 or 60 years that they're an adult, but then they'll they'll die and their soul will be separated from God forever. Wouldn't it be more important to ensure that they are pointed toward Jesus Christ and have an opportunity to receive Christ and that they are trained and instructed to follow Christ? And and if they don't pull down six figures and if they don't live in in an eight-bedroom house and if they don't have all the big toys and they don't have the best job in the world and you can't walk around and say, well, my kid has more trophies than your kid and you don't get those bragging rights, but at the end of the day, they're following Jesus and they're going to live with him forever. Isn't that better? Isn't that what should be primary? But in, in our society, we mix these up. We think that my job as a parent is to make sure they get a full ride scholarship to the best college so they can get that good job so they can have that trophy life that's the American dream. But that's not primary, that's secondary. Now that's not bad, but it's not the primary thing. If you think about it like this, remember when you were a kid and you were in school, did anybody uh, in, I don't know, was this third or fourth grade or so, did you ever hatch chickens in your class in school? Anybody ever do that? Some of you grew up hatching chickens in your barns and so this wasn't a cool thing. But I grew up in town. And so uh, it was like the most amazing thing. We had this little incubator. Remember the little incubator? And there were all these chicken eggs in there. And then we watched and, you know, you come, you check the chickens every day and then they hatch and, and it's so exciting, it's so fun. The incubator has one purpose, to successfully hatch the eggs. That's all it does. The incubator isn't used for anything else. I mean, you could put a ham sandwich in there and it'd keep it warm. I don't recommend it. Right? The, the incubator has one purpose, to, to successfully hatch a new generation of chickens for Kentucky Fried Chicken. The family, from a biblical perspective, has one purpose, to successfully hatch a new generation of Jesus followers. To successfully raise up kids who will be following Jesus as adults. That's its purpose. That's the purpose of the family. See, God's plan for passing faith from one generation to the next is not kids' ministry, youth ministry, or Christian schools. It's the family. Now, does that mean that we should cancel our kids' ministry and not have any youth ministry and and protest against Christian schools? No. I think that kids' ministry and youth ministry are highly important and they're highly valuable for partnering with parents, for resourcing parents. They enable the church to step in and be an extended family and love these kids and help them grow in their own faith. 
but that's not the primary plan for God's uh, mission to pass the faith from one generation to the next. The primary plan, the, the incubator, is the family. It's the parents. Parents are the ones that have the sacred responsibility to pass their faith in Christ onto their kids. Every single research study done in the last 40 years reveals the same thing. Parents are by far the most spiritually influential people in their kids' lives. By far. For good or for bad. And it doesn't matter which spirituality you're influencing them, whether it's Christianity or some other religion. Parents are by far the most spiritually influential people in their kids' lives, more than anybody else. And every single study done in the last 40 years shows that. It is our job as parents to prepare our kids to represent Jesus in their moment in history. That's what we should do. That is our mission. So how do we do that? That's what we're talking about today from Proverbs 8. Uh, 1, 8 through 19. And we're going to see two principles in this uh, passage. Two principles we can apply to our parenting. And here they are. It's be a parent, not a friend, and be a family, not a business. Two principles for parenting that we can pick up from the way the parents instructed their child in Proverbs 1, 8 through 19. Be a parent, not a friend. Be a family, not a business. Let's look at each one of these principles in turn. The first one is, be a parent, not a friend. Your primary role is dad or mom, not buddy. Okay? Uh, Now, why would I say that? Isn't that somewhat obvious? Well, maybe, maybe not. A few years ago, the Barna Research Group did a large study of parents under the age of 40. And one of the things they found in that study was that most of those parents described their children as their best friends. Okay, so most parents under 40 describe their children as their best friends. Now, that is somewhat problematic because we treat our friends differently than we treat our children, or we should. And if we're going to parent them well, then we need to understand what our role is. Our role is dad or mom. It's not buddy. Our role is aunt or uncle or grandmother or grandfather or whatever that role is in your family. It's not buddy. It's not let's be your best friend. See, as, as a parent, it's your job to be a parent, not a friend. And what, one of the things that means is to teach your kids the right path. Okay? Be a parent, not a friend. That means teach your kids the right path to walk in life. If you look back at Proverbs 1, 8 through 19, these parents did not pull any punches with their son. They talked to him straight. They told him like it was. They clearly said, this is right. This is wrong. Those friends are bad. These friends are good. This path will take you places you don't want to go. This path will lead you to places you do want to go. This is godly. This is evil. They clearly took responsibility to make sure that they were teaching their kid the right path to walk in life. And that's important. Because in our society, there's this idea that parents should not pass our moral values and especially our faith and our religious beliefs down to our kids. There's this idea in our society that that parents should, should not pass their religious beliefs down to their kids. We should just let them choose their own path. I've talked to many, many different parents that say things like this. Well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to push that on my child. I want him to choose for himself to follow Jesus. Well, I'm not going to make my kid come to church on Sunday. I want them to choose for themselves to come to church on Sunday. 
I'm not going to really, uh, you know, push my faith on them. I just want them to find it for themselves. But this is not at all good parenting from a biblical perspective. Our society says that's what you should do, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that parents should teach their kids the right path to walk in life. If you don't teach them right from wrong, who will? If you don't teach them about God and who Jesus is, who will teach them about God and Jesus? Their peers, the news, movies, music, social media. People whose influence you don't want in their lives will be telling them all about God and all about Jesus and all about what's right and what's wrong. And they will lead them down the wrong path. See, our society wants you to abdicate your parental responsibility to teach your kids right from wrong because our society wants to step in and teach your kids their version of right and wrong. Our society wants you to abdicate your parental responsibility to to teach your kids about Jesus because pop culture wants to tell your kids what they should believe about Jesus. And if you're not, they will. They're already doing it anyway. So it's your job as a parent to step in and say, hold on a minute, there is right, there is wrong, there is true, there is not true. It's not just a bunch of relative his truth, her truth, real truth somewhere in the middle. No, there's right and there's wrong. There's black and there's white. There's a path that leads to life and there's a path that leads to death. And that's your job as a parent is to teach your kids the right path. When I was a kid, um, I remember going to science class and the science teacher said something like, um, you know, some people in our society believe that God created the universe and everything that's in it. But science has disproven that. There is no such thing as God Uh, All the things that exist are the process of random evolution, uh, and that's what it is. And science has proven that to be true. And I came home, and I was like, what's this, mom and dad? And, And they said, go to class, study, learn. You don't have to worry about science and the Bible contradicting each other. They said, where where it seems like science and the Bible contradict each other, it's because either we don't fully understand the science or we don't fully understand the Bible, but they don't contradict. They're both true. As a family, we follow Jesus. We believe that the Bible is true and it is authoritative. So go to class, learn about evolution, learn about the science, learn all the stuff you're supposed to learn. When you take the test, Answer the questions on the test the way your teacher wants them answered. It doesn't mean that you agree with them. It just shows that you've learned the content that she's teaching. They taught me the truth. They said, don't be afraid of science, but at the same time, don't abandon your faith. God wrote two books, the Bible and nature, and God's books don't contradict each other. They set me on the right path. And parents That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to teach our kids the truth and set them on the right path. Look at some of the lessons just in this proverb uh, that the parents were teaching their kid. Uh, They taught their kid, be careful who you're friends with. See verse 10, my son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. Hey, not all your friends are good people. Be careful who you're friends with. You might have heard it said this way, "Bad bad company corrupts good character. That's also in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. They were teaching their kids this principle. Another thing they were teaching their kids is things are not always what they seem. See, verse 10, if sinful men entice you, sin is enticing. If it wasn't enticing, we wouldn't be tempted, we would never sin. It's enticing. 
but it's not always what you seem, what it seems to be. It might look desirable, but in the end, it's deadly. They were teaching their kids, avoid the enticing allurement of sin. Sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. It will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. So be aware, things are not always what they seem. Another lesson that they were teaching their kids uh, comes from verse 18. Think about the consequences of your decisions. See, verse 18 says, These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. They're teaching their kid to think about the consequences of your decisions. Think before you act. Now, I think a lot of parents today do their kids a disservice by always rescuing them out of every consequence. Every time they, they hurt or they're scared or whatever, we swoop in, helicopter parent, and pick them up and rescue them. Oh, it's okay, it's okay. It doesn't teach them. They're not learning the consequences of their actions. Guess what? Not everybody should get a trophy. Not everybody's earned a trophy. If you don't play hard, you don't win. That's a consequence of not playing hard. Kids need to learn that. Sometimes our kids need to feel the pain. Sometimes they need to get burned so they don't touch the stove again. Now, does that mean you should just tell your kid, hey, go play in the street and live with the consequences? No, clearly not. But we shouldn't just be so quick to pluck them out of everything, to pluck them out of everything, to pluck them out of everything. Sometimes they need to experience the consequences. Sometimes the painful consequences are God's way of getting their attention. And every time we pull them out of that experience, out of that consequence, every time mom and dad swoops in to rescue them, we're stepping in front of what God's trying to do in their lives. See, they're teaching their kids, think before you act. Actions have consequences. Another lesson that they're teaching in this proverb is living a wicked life brings you to a wicked end. Verse 19, such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. Jesus rephrased this in Matthew 26. He said, whoever lives by the sword will die by the sword. These are just some of the lessons these parents are teaching their kids in this one section of Proverbs. There's a lot more. We don't have time to dig into them today. The point that I'm trying to make this morning is be a parent, not a friend. That means teach your kids the right path. Another thing that it means to be a parent and not a friend is to set appropriate boundaries. Setting appropriate boundaries. Look at verse 15. He says, My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths. He's setting boundaries. He's saying, look, draw a boundary line. Don't even walk down the path of the wicked. It's better to be wise than to be strong. It's better to be wise enough to avoid the path of, of evil altogether than to think that I can walk down the path of the, of the wicked. I can walk right by the door of evil every day and I'm just going to be strong enough to resist that temptation. Every day I'm going to walk right by the door of evil and I'm going to be strong enough to resist that temptation. You're not. I'm not. Nobody is. We, we will eventually wear out. We're not strong enough to resist that temptation. It's better to be wise and avoid the path of evil altogether. Set appropriate boundaries. It's okay to tell our kids to turn off their phones. It's okay to tell ourselves to turn off our phones too. Right? It's okay. It's okay to monitor what your kids are looking at on their phones. Now our society says, invasion of privacy, invasion of privacy, you can't look at what your kid's looking at, that's terrible. You're 
12, 13-year-old kid is not emotionally or spiritually or mentally or socially mature enough to handle that responsibility. There is a ton of garbage on our phones. And it's okay to look at what they're looking at and to check up on them and to set boundaries for how much they're on their phones. It's okay to say no to video games. You're not playing games tonight. You're spending the night with your family. It's okay to say that they cannot go hang out with those certain friends. Those friends are a bad influence. They can't do that. They're not supposed to. It's okay. It's okay to say you're not going to play on that traveling league. It's okay to say you can't work your high school job on Sunday morning and miss worshiping God with your church family. It is okay to set a boundary and to show them what is really important in life. And it's not their high school job, and it's not another trophy on their shelf collecting dust. It is God, and it is faith in Jesus Christ. That's what's important. And it's okay to teach them what is right and to set boundaries to help them walk the right path in life. Your role is a parent, not a friend. It's not our job to make sure that they have the best experiences, that they get the best grades, that they get the best scholarship, and that they go to the best school. Our job is to help them follow Jesus so when their moment in history comes, they represent Jesus Christ to a lost and a dying world. That's our job. That is success as a parent. That's the first principle from Proverbs 1, 8 through 19. Be a parent, not a friend. The second principle that we're going to look at today is be a family, not a business. Be a parent, not a friend. Be a family, not a business. In your home... It's business. It's not business. It's personal. Remember that. In your home, it's not business. It's personal. Have you ever heard that saying, it's not personal, it's just business? Let's reverse that when it comes to our family. It's not business. It's personal. See, rules are important. That's what the first point is about, being a parent, not a friend. It's about setting rules, boundaries, teaching them what's right and wrong. And rules are important, but rules by themselves are not enough. Rules by themselves will not point kids in the right direction. It takes rules and relationship. We have to have love. We have to have family. We have to be a family. We're not a business. We're a family. It's not business. It's personal. Look at what verse 14 says. This is a quote from the gang of men that is inviting this son out. Verse 14 says, Cast lots with us. We will all share the loot I thought that it was very interesting. One of the commentators um, that I was reading on this passage pointed out that what this gang of sinful men was offering was a substitute family. Notice that? A substitute family. Hey, come come with us. Cast your lot in with us. We'll share all the loot. We'll be a family. We'll We'll be a community. We'll be the family that you don't have at home. See, the world offers to be a substitute family to our kids. And this commentator, Jim Neuheiser, here's what he said about this verse. He said, young people who do not have a sense of belonging at home are vulnerable. Many parents are contributing to the delinquency of their children by failing to be engaged in their lives. See, our lives are so busy with school 
with basketball, with soccer, with baseball, with football, with traveling leagues, with hockey, with volleyball, with karate, with piano lessons, with band, with dance, with homework, with laundry, with showers, with cleaning your room, with cooking the food, with getting all this stuff done, and yes, with church activities. We're so busy that sometimes we reach the end of the day and we think, did I even say I love you to my kid one time today? Have I even taken 10 minutes to connect with them this week? Or have we just been running, going, running, going, running, going, running, going, running, going, running, going, check, 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 like a business. And our rooms are clean and the dishes are loaded and the dishwasher and the laundry's folded. But is there any relationship? Is there any love? Is there any connection? Are we engaging in their lives? He goes on, Jim Neuheiser goes on to say, all parents need to devote time and effort to building family relationships, doing whatever it takes to make the family the primary place of training and socialization for their children. They must be willing to make sacrifices of time, money, and career to fulfill the responsibilities God has given them. What does it profit their children if they gain all the material blessings they crave but grow up to be fools? We have to make them the priority in the relationship. It's not business, it's personal. Be a family. Love. Um, When it comes to building a family, excuse me, when it comes to building a family uh, and creating that environment in the home, Uh, The the best book on parenting I've ever read is Grace-Based Parenting by Dr. Tim Kimmel. I think we have a copy or two of it in our church library. Uh, There's also a Grace-Based Parenting study available on Right Now Media for free if you care to check that out. But this is the best book I've ever read on parenting, Grace-Based Parenting by Tim Kimmel. And he says, here are three things that every child needs in life. And by the way, these three things are not just what parents need to give to their children. Every person can give these three things to any other person, whether, you're at, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your extended family, whether it, you don't have to have kids or be a parent to apply these principles. But here's what Tim Kimmel says, three principles that every child needs, secure love, strong hope, and significant purpose. These are three things that every human being needs to succeed, secure love, strong hope, and significant purpose. Secure love means they don't have to earn your love. When they mess up, when they fail, when they fall, when they rebel, they don't have to earn your love back. Your love is there, unconditional. That's the way God loves us. And insecurity is so much of a problem in our society today in large part because We have to earn favor and we have to earn other people's loves. That's how our society works. But God is different because God gives us that love unconditionally. He doesn't make us earn it. And when we love our children unconditionally, regardless of their performance, we're giving them security and we're giving them unconditional love. And that's such a desperate need in their lives. They need secure love. They also need strong hope. We need to show them that we have hope in Christ. They have hope in Christ. I was listening to a podcast on the news uh, a few weeks ago, and um, the the podcaster was talking about a story that uh, anxiety and depression are higher among teenagers than ever before. 
And one of, the, one of the contributing factors to that, there's lots of different contributing factors, but one of the contributing factors is they, they sat down and they interviewed a whole bunch of teenagers that are struggling with anxiety and depression and are on antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds and all these things. And they, one, of the, one of the most common sources of anxiety and depression was the change of climate. All the news about how uh, we've totally destroyed the earth, we're overpopulating the earth, we've, we've destroyed it beyond the point of any return, the climate's changing, uh, you know, everything's so bad that it's, it's within their lifetime or maybe their kid's lifetime that the whole planet's going to crash and everything's going to burn and die and, and we're all going to be dead. And that's all over the news. You can't read anything in the news without reading about climate change. And, and this climate change and this hopelessness that within possibly their own lifetimes, the world's going to end, it's causing anxiety and depression in our kids. Why? Because they don't have a strong hope in Jesus Christ. And you know what? If the world does crash and end, guess what? God's going to make a new world. Revelation 21. A new heaven and a new earth. And all the old things have passed away and there's not going to be any more pain or crying or tears or, or death or disease or sickness or all that stuff. So, so even if... All the climate change is true, and even if the world crashes and dies in, in the next 50 years, guess what? We still have a strong hope. We haven't lost our hope in Christ. We have eternal life. See, we need to give our kids a strong hope in Jesus, and we need to give them a significant purpose. We need to teach them that life is about a lot more than themselves. If my life is all about me, then that's not a very significant purpose because I come to realize pretty quickly that I'm a pretty small link in the chain. You look at the size of the universe, you look at the 7.2 billion people that are living on this planet, I'm one of them. If the whole world is about me, that's not a very significant purpose in life. But guess what? If life is about God, he's the most significant person in the universe. And if my life is about serving him, and loving him, and being loved by him, and being in a relationship with him, then suddenly I have significant purpose in my life. If he, the king and creator of the universe, has a specific plan for me, what could be more significant than that? We need to teach our kids to find their purpose in Christ. So we give them a secure love, a strong hope, and a significant purpose. And that's how we can be a family and not a business. These are the very things that God gives to us through Jesus Christ. Unconditional love, an eternal hope, and a purpose and meaning in life. It's all about relationship and it's all about love and it's about the balance of setting boundaries, teaching the truth, and establishing, establishing the home. I have this really great quote from Josh McDowell. I think I've shared this here before, but it is a really great quote. Here's what he says. Truth without relationships leads to rejection. Rules without relationships leads to rebellion. Discipline without relationship leads to bitterness, anger, and resentment. If we don't build loving, caring, intimate relationships with our children, it doesn't matter what we teach them. See, it's not just about the rules. It's about the relationship. It's also not just about being their buddy. It's about being their parent and finding the balance, being a parent, not a friend, being a family, not a business. 
That's the two principles, and I put them all on one slide here. It's a summary slide. Be a parent, not a friend. Teach your kids the right path. Set appropriate boundaries. Be a family, not a business. Provide secure love, strong hope, and significant purpose. These are the principles that Proverbs teaches us about parenting. Just a few. I would encourage you to read the rest of the book of Proverbs and uncover so much more. Let me wrap things up by saying this. What about the people who don't come from the standard model home? They don't have a mom. They don't have a dad that are serving and following Jesus, both. They don't have that that secure love. They don't have that strong hope. They don't have that significant purpose. They're not being set on the right path. They don't have parents that are setting appropriate boundaries. What do we do with those kids? How How do we reach them? Do they matter? Absolutely they do. God loves them as much as he loves anyone else. And that's where the church can step in and become the extended family. Whether you have kids or whether you don't, whether you're married or whether you're single, whether your kids have grown up and left the home or not, the church is supposed to be a family, an extended family to support, to encourage, to love, to share in the the blessings of Christ and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Most people don't see the church as a family. Instead, most of us view the church as a spiritual corporation, manufacturing and marketing and selling spiritual goods and services. And if that's what the church is, a spiritual corporation, then what are we? Spiritual consumers of those spiritual goods and services. But what if the church isn't a corporation, and what if we're not consumers? What if the church is a family, and we are family members, brothers, and sisters. When I was a kid, uh, the church I grew up in, you called each other brother or sister. And that's a little old-fashioned. But you would come into church, and I would see an adult, and I would say, Hi, Brother Axton, how are you? Or, or Hi, Brother Dodd, how are you? And if you were really close to them, or, or they weren't as much older than you or something, you might call them uh, by their first name. Hi, Brother Robert. That was kind of a, you know, when, when you're old enough to call them by their first name. I don't know. We called each other brother and sister. Hi, Sister Stucky. Hi, Sister Tyler. And, and when you're a kid and an adult comes in and says, Hi, Brother Andy, how are you? That makes you feel really special. It makes you feel like you belong. What if the church is not a corporation? What if the church is a family? And what if we're all brothers and sisters? How would we look at the church differently? How would we, how would we relate to one another differently? That's a question I want to leave you with this morning. And if you don't feel like the church is a family and maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home, maybe you don't come from that background, maybe your path in life has been different. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like, I would love to have a family. I would love to be part of a family. You can be part of the family of God by accepting the grace that Jesus Christ offers you. We celebrated communion earlier. The early church used to celebrate this as a whole meal. And if you think about it in that setting, a big dining room table and a whole meal laid out and there's an empty chair at the dining room table, guess who that chair is for? You. Are you sitting at the table? Jesus says, hey, come over here, accept me, follow me. You've got a place at my table. You're part of my family now. That's what we can do. That's what the family of God is supposed to be. Let me pray and we'll conclude Father, I thank you for uh, loving us enough to instruct us 
in how we should parent and raise our children and pass our faith to the next generation. I thank you for the wisdom that's found in Proverbs. And I've only been able to, to barely scratch the surface this morning. But I pray that that would be enough to spark us to dig deeper in our own study, in our own reading, in our own quiet times with you. And if there's someone here this morning, Lord, who, who needs to come and sit at the place, at their place at your table, I pray that they would be able to do that, that they would be able to say, I'm a sinner, I need a savior, I believe Jesus is that savior, and I accept him with all my heart. Please come and live inside of me. If someone prays something like that, they can have a place at your table, and I pray that that would happen for them this morning. For those of us who are parents, God, give us strength, give us wisdom, and when we mess up, because we will and we have, and we will (laughs) again, when we mess up, Give us that forgiveness and help us to learn from those mistakes. I pray a blessing over all the children of Lakeview Church, no matter what age they are. I pray that we would be able to hand faith in Jesus on to them. In Jesus' name, amen.